I'm from Narnia. I don't believe in ghouls. Yeah, you're from Narnia, which has like, <laughs> you know, giants and centaurs and ghosts and witches. Hello! Welcome to Chronically Narnia, a podcast in which we discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter. At this point, we are beginning chapter three of The Horse and His Boy. And uh, I, of course, am Zardina, Lady of the Night, also known as Kristen, here with my co-host. I'm just a Tarkana that wants to have a water party. Also known as... Chris. You know. Well, Tarkina with a water party. Uh-huh. Welcome. Thank you. Your water Cause... habits are welcome here. Good to know. We uh, do live in kind of a deserty area. So, yep. you know, sometimes it gets expensive to have those water parties. But yeah, but you're welcome to have your water party. They're worth it. Anyway. Oh, well, so uh, today we are discussing Chapter 3, At the Gates of Tashban, um, from the 3rd slash 5th, 6th book? 5th? 5th book. The 3rd slash 5th book in the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and we have met another talking horse. And a, yes. and just a girl. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and this chapter is us finally getting to know them a little bit and it is. deciding whether or not we're going to travel together. So, uh, when we do this podcast, we begin by having a five sentence summary where each of us, as we're reading, we select and pluck out of the chapter five sentences that we think convey the plot of the chapter. And we don't put them back. And we never put them back. We just leave holes in the pages of our books. We cut them out with scissors. You should see our wall. We pl- we started plastering them on the wall, and it's a... Uh, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it just looks like a psychopath's chronicle of C.S. Lewis shrine. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, Chris, do you want to go ahead and begin with your five-sentence summary and let us know what happened in this chapter? Sure. There were a, There is a great selection of long sentences in this chapter, so we didn't have the same problem we did the last one. Um, a lot of dialogue, really dialogue heavy, but yep. let's, uh, let's jump in here. Lots of story. This right. chapter is a story about a story. It is. So I'll start now. But on the second day, I rose up and washed my face, and caused my mare Huynh to be settled, and took with me a sharp dagger which my brother had carried in the western wars, and rode out alone. Therefore, I addressed myself a second time to the stabbing. But Huynh came near to me, and put her head in between me and the dagger, and discoursed to me most excellent reasons, and rebuked me as a mother rebukes her daughter. Moreover, it was agreed between Huynh and me that we should steal ourselves away together, and we planned it in this fashion. And at every halt they argued about what they were to do when they reached Tashban. Well, said Huynh humbly, she was a very sensible mare. The main thing is to get there. 
Mm. I like it. I like it. Mm. You did a good job. I kind of just mm. skipped over all of Erebus's story and just That's half the chapter. I know. <laughs> I, I was having a really hard time trying to get her story in there, so I just said, "All right, I'm going to go ahead and tell mine now." And that is the pith of my story until this very night where I was chased by lions and met you at the swimming of the salt water. The next day, all four of them, two horses and two humans, continued their journey. Bree said the first thing now to do was to fix a place where they would all promise to meet on the far side of Toshbon, even if, by any ill luck, they got separated in passing the city. We'll have to have a disguise, said Shasta. Don't you two horses forget yourselves and start talking whatever happens. So you focus more on, like, the actual planning and action of them, you know, what's actually happening in the story versus this backstory of, you know, Arivis yeah. and what she's been through. Okay. Yeah, I, I just thought it was important to kind of introduce her as a character. And um, I had a feeling you would, so I wouldn't yeah. need to do it again. Um, so, yeah, the, tell us about Arivis since you wanted to focus on her a little more in your... Um, I mean, she tells this summary. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about her. Yeah, she tells this very, like, very involved story, uh, and this is like the most dialogue a female character has gotten in any of the books so far. Um, cumulatively, probably. Her, I'm sure cumulatively, it's it's a lot of text. Um, so Erebus tells her story, and there's a couple times during this where, uh, in the telling, Shasta wants to jump in and just be like. Oh hey, what happened here? Oh, you didn't get to this part, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Bree's just like, shut up. Like, listen to the, the story. Listen to the story. You know, this is the great you know tradition of Calermine storytelling, and you know this is a, a wonder to behold. But she doesn't really tell it very well. Um, <laughs> like the Calermine are supposed to be like really good storytellers, and this is kind of their thing, and the oral tradition is kind of where they're at. But like reading through this, it's. It's not, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I feel like she tells it well. I feel like she does tell it well. And I feel like, especially like Quinn's interruption being like, mm. I wasn't half so eloquent as that. And yeah. Brie is just like, oh, hush now. Like, like there are let times... her tell the story. She's telling the story. Yeah. Like there are times that she tells it really well and like has some, some good moments. But then uh, uh, there's lots, lots and lots of like run on sentences and like weird. That's how you talk and tell stories. I guess it doesn't. So. She's not writing an essay. That's the whole point <laughs> that C.S. Lewis made at the end of the last chapter. Nobody wants to read an essay. Nobody cares about run-on sentences. Uh -huh. She's telling an oral story, and he's writing an oral story. Uh -huh. uh, so we introduce this oral story with her talking about uh, her lineage. Ah, yes. <laughs> Erevis, she's the only daughter of Kidrash, uh, son of Rishti, uh, son of Kidrash. Son, uh, and all of them were, um, t uh, what's the title? Tarkon. Tarkons. And then we have uh, the son of Il Sombre, who was a Tisrock. Uh-huh. And he was the son of Ardeeb, who was also a Tisrock, who was of the lineage of the god Tash. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about Tash a little bit throughout this chapter. Not Nothing is really revealed about him other than this is a deity that... Uh, kind of comes up here well and I, have... I think that this is kind of when we have these ideas of the tisrock may he live forever um <laughs> and this, not talking like a free narnian this story that uh or her lineage going back to our deep 
who was of the line of Tash. Yes. I feel like this is very much this idea of like the divine uh, rulers. Yes. And, and very much in like an Egyptian tradition where like the ruler was seen to be a bearer of some divine essence. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot we can say about Tash. Uh, we probably shouldn't in this chapter because we don't really learn a lot here. I've done some some research and like would spoil things. Okay. Um, but yeah, we could we could get into that a little bit. Um, but it's an interesting idea that she is, you know, basically tracing her dis, uh, her ancestry back to this god. And I did a little bit of looking into this, and this is the only mention of any kind of organized religion in the entire series. Yeah. Is that the worship of Tash and, like, the pantheon that the Kalarmine have. Yeah. This Tash, is basically it. Azroth, and Zardina are the three gods that are all mentioned in this particular yes. chapter. Uh, and, like, this is, you know, even in, in Narnia, we have a reverence for Aslan, but there's no real religion or faith built around him. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is, like, the only the only one that we see. And we could dive real deep into that uh, at some point. Um, so she's a descendant, you know, the descendant of some sort of god. Yeah. Um, so that's where we're starting here. And she, uh, you know, is royalty. She's basically a princess. Uh, her... I'd say that she's... I No, I would say she's a lord. She's the daughter of a lord. Because yeah. we kind of... There's a distinction here where she, her family goes from being Tisrox to being Tarkans. Yeah, so they've lost and station. That's, but... Yeah, they're no longer the rulers. They're in the in the higher class but of she, yeah. lords and landholders. Yeah, but she's still somebody of high station and, like, is recognizable enough that, like, going through the city of Tashban, they have to disguise her later because somebody would know who she is. Well, they also, like, this is... they said that Bree was recognizable yeah. too. So just as the horse. Yeah. So, you know, she's not like just sue nobody. Uh, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Uh, but yeah, she, her mother's dead. Tragic backstory. Brother's dead. Her mom's dead. Her father gets remarried. Stepmom hates her. And you know, the evil stepmom trope that comes in. Stepmom hates her and comes up uh, with this whole plan to get rid of her. And she's going to get married off to some old man. Yes. Uh, so we're going to, you know. We also have great discussion about how uh, he is of low standing and basically swindled his way into a Tarkan ship. Apparently. Uh, and so we have our first introduction of the topic of uh, arranged child marriage. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <sighs> and we even have... Um, Shasta pointed out, you're not even as old as I am. Mm -hmm. How could you be getting married? And Bree shuts him up and it's just like, this is very much like traditional and normal in the ruling classes here. Uh -huh. And so it's very much showing that like the upper class people are selling off their daughters essentially. Uh -huh. Um to in marriage in order you know and it's uh it's presenting once again this kind of caricature and um very negative view of middle eastern culture and the people who hold authority in middle eastern culture yeah um and like yes yeah, so we can all agree 
that arranging a child wedding, especially with one who's younger than Shasta to a man who's in his 60s, is kind of gross. Yeah. Um, But, like, this is included in this book where we already have had and have established these kind of demeaning caricatures and dismissals of the people who are written as of Middle Eastern and are shown very much to be more interested in what the the poets say than in being good people and are more, in, you know, are very monstrous. And so it's just once again reestablishing, reaffirming this monstrous idea of the people of Kalerman, especially the ruling class people of Kalerman. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is kind of a problematic character, but I'll, I mean, also like is is kind of a world building moment and like we're learning a lot about the society that uh yeah it's world building and i mean it's not something that doesn't happen in the real world and it's not something that like real people aren't actually running away from today yeah in in countries but it like just the way that we've already kind of established c.s lewis's characterizing of this culture yeah it's it it's just a little it's just one more thing on top of this list of yeah. transgressions against mm-hmm. like racial <laughs> support or or even potent he's he's glorifying the storytelling aspect and that is the only thing yeah and we kind of talked about C.S. Lewis and where he kind of glorified storytelling and myth and things like that yeah. Um, in our previous couple episodes. And so this is really the only thing he's saying it kind of redeems anything in this culture is just like storytelling. Storytelling yeah. is taught and glorified and and idolized and that's the only thing worth saving in this culture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the thing. Though, if we want to go a little bit extracurricular here and go outside the source material, uh, we could possibly use this to kind of give us an age range of the characters involved because uh, historically like especially when you're looking at middle eastern cultures and the way this was done like the arranged marriages for political gain was a thing uh and that was always around the time of like you wouldn't arrange a marriage until like a girl enters into womanhood and like menstruates for the first time Mm-hmm. And so we're putting her if if this is, you know, culturally accurate, we're putting her age as maybe like 13, 12, 14, somewhere around there. Yeah, 11 to 14, somewhere yeah. in there, yeah. Yeah, and, and so we could possibly put Shasta like as old as maybe 15, 16. So he's not necessarily a kid, but yeah. if he's older than her. I so mean, could he be the, could be anywhere between 12 and yeah. 15 or yeah. 16 so, or so, yeah. So, you know, but I don't know. So that's that's kind of an idea of, of you know, what we're working with. I would I would expect, honestly, that Shasta's probably not hit puberty yet, though, as far as storytelling goes, just because I don't feel like his um, father character, what was his name? We, Ar- doesn't matter. Ash- Ashish? Yeah. Ash- Ashish? Yeah. I don't feel like Arshish would have been beating him quite so much if he was, like, a 15-year-old, like... Mm-hmm. Strong lad. Strong lad. Uh-huh. I, I don't know, though. I mean, that that's just me drawing a mental picture here. Also, Lewis has done this thing, and I think it's worth pointing out here, that uh, 
so this is the third book we've read. I can't speak to the other ones, obviously. But in these three books, Lewis very pointedly doesn't point out the ages of any of the children involved in these stories. Which yeah. I think is an interesting uh, take on it. Because I feel like the... I mean, I haven't read tons of children's literature, but I think that I feel like that's unusual where we usually have clue, you know, we have things pointing to ages like, oh, they're this great in school or like, you know, they're stated at some point or we celebrate a birthday or something like that. Yeah, no, um, I agree with you. And, and so the fact that he never mentions it, I think is interesting. And I'm wondering if that's more a way to uh, kind of make it more a story for people of different ages and like, having different age children be able to identify with characters i don't know possibly yeah i mean that definitely makes sense to yeah. me because it's it does kind of open up the field for yeah. children to be able to relate at different yeah. ages and different points because it does seem very intentional by this point yeah uh that he doesn't do that i think that this book has now introduced more um difficult topics though then uh because we had talked about this idea of shasta being a slave being sold being beaten and all of these different things and you were like this is really dark yeah but then we were like okay well in the magician's nephew we have a kid kids being kidnapped and coerced Uh and being afraid of their parents dying Uh and the genocide of charn Mm -hmm. um and then in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we had um, the death of Aslan and mm-hmm. these children going to war. Yeah. Um, so we've we've added in a second um, kind of intense topic yeah. with this where we've we've gone from Shasta's situation now seeing Erevis's situation, and both of them are coming out of very dark situations. And Lewis has gone from having child characters who are, you know, maybe alone because of understandable situations for the children Mm -hmm. to being alone for situations that children might not be able to understand or engage. Like in in Magician's Nephew, father's away, mother's sick, Diggory's alone. Mm-hmm. And in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all of the kids are sent away because of the war to protect them. Yeah. So these are ideas that, like, children, while they may not be able to process, can understand. Uh-huh. But then we have children who are being beaten and being traded in marriage. And sold to slavery. And sold into slavery. And, like, these are topics that, like, I hope that the audience would not be able to engage with. <laughs> And understand, but also at the same time, like, I think it's a a genuinely impressive step that C.S. Lewis would do these things to his main characters and give an audience that has had those kind of been victimized in those ways, giving them a character to relate to. So uh-huh. I think that that is something, something to praise C.S. Lewis for doing and not just being like every child is going to have some kind of situation that is gonna have a neat little bow on it yeah uh i i want to come back to that but speaking of dark topics uh let's jump right into suicide oh yeah sorry (laughs) that's the one i thank you i told him like i spaced on suicide yeah (sighs) this child 
Uh-huh. We just established 11 to 14, decided that rather than be to, to be married to this 60-year-old man who had the face of a monkey, uh-huh. she wanted to, again, that's a very racist term. It is overtly racist. I mean, there's there's countless animal analogies in these stories. Yes, like, I read but it as we've more of already like, talked about. about the fact that these... The people she are she is describing, she is describing someone who is black and she is describing mm. him as a monkey. And that is absolutely, that is to this day a racist mm. term that would not be considered appropriate in any setting, especially in a children's book. I was just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, you know what? I'm, I gave him the benefit of the doubt by praising his storytelling <laughs> nonsense. Um, but anyway, I'm going to call that out where no. I see it. Thank you. Um, so, yes. Yeah, we have this 11 to 14 year old aged girl running off into the woods to stab herself in the heart. Yep. Uh, you know, as far as suicide method goes, that's, uh, I mean, that's a that's pretty hardcore one. Uh, don't really see a lot of that. With you know? her dead brother's sword. Yeah. Yeah. Seems, seems like a rough way to go. Um, yeah, yeah, she goes and she's just like, yeah, can't go on, gonna try to kill myself, like, let's just introduce that really quick, uh, and then Horse speaks up. Can't believe I almost skipped this topic entirely. Uh-huh. And when it's just like, gonna say something, can't let this happen, gonna stop her, etc., yeah. etc., uh, you got so much to live for, and Erebus here is so determined that she's just like, oh, where? that's weird. Talking horse. I'm so hmm. desperate I must be hallucinating. Yep. Still going to kill myself. And then, like, uh, Quinn comes in and, like, physically places herself between the dagger and the girl in, like, this moment of, like, nurturing motherly care yeah. uh, that, that women, women, when is, uh, <laughs> when is. That de- women are known yeah. for. <laughs> That Huynh is demonstrating here. And then at that point, Erebus is just like, all right, maybe there's, you know, other stuff here. Like, maybe we could just run away. Which, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just because my my childhood wasn't that dark and I didn't end up getting married off to some old woman for political favors. Um, But when, you know, (laughs) if I was caught in that situation... I would think, you know, at that age, my first thought would be like, yeah, I'm going to run away. Not like, I'm going to go kill myself. Because that's the only way out of this. I think that it does make sense in a way, though, because (laughs) she she is part of a noble family. She is well-known enough that if she just tried to run away, she would be brought back. Yeah. And, I mean, if I was being, like, sent, like, married off to someone... Uh-huh. And I tried to run away from that situation and got caught. I would be expecting to be mistreated, uh-huh. not only by my own family, but by that person that I was being married to. Yeah. Uh, so we successfully avoid her killing herself. We meet Huynh, who is a Narnian horse, free Narnian horse. Uh, apparently, a lot of those down here in Callerman. Yeah. Um, we discussed thoroughly last week. Yeah, and her and. Uh, Erevis come up with this plan. And they're just like, hey, we both want to get away, much in the same way that uh, Bree and Shasta do. We both want to get away. And Bree's just like, I have this place we can go. And Huynh's just like, I have this place we can go. I'm from there. And so it's a very the parallel story so far. Yeah. 
Um, so they come up with this elaborate plan of how they're going to escape. Uh, and Erebus is just like, yep, going to pretend to actually be excited about this whole thing. Going to convince my dad that this is what I want. And, oh, hey, for the, you know, I want to have my bachelorette party and I'm going to go out with the maid and get drunk in the woods at 12 <laughs> years old. Gonna go and do the, the, the end of her service to Zardina, Lady of the Night, because she will no longer be... A virgin maiden, she will be married, and she will no longer be in service to Zardina. Yep. So doing the proper sacrifices, etc., etc. Uh, and Dad's just like, yeah, sounds great. You know, you you do you. Uh, and then they use that to, you know, get away. We we drug the maid she goes out with. Yeah, let's talk That's about <laughs> that, too. Um, so, yeah, Erebus is just like... Wake me up early and we will go. And then she puts stuff in the maid's wine yep. in the evening so that she will sleep through mm-hmm. that early morning wake up. Isn't that fascinating? And then she sneaks away in the second watch of the night. She uh, makes sure that she points out that she puts Quinn's saddle on all by herself. Uh-huh. And um, she has gotten this letter. Uh, arranged as well by someone else who worked in the house who had known her, helped to raise her. Yep. And she runs away and after drugging the, yeah. Yep. She drugs someone and runs away. Runs away, gets one of the other servants to forge this letter. Mails that letter back. Uh-huh. It's basically like, it's a very clever plan. Like, I'll go to props for yeah. that. Like, you know, for, for a kid, she's covering all the bases here. She really is. Uh, and... The letter we find out that she mailed back was a false letter from Ahoshta, the man that she's going to be married to, um, mm-hmm. saying that he met her... As she was doing her ceremonies to Zarzina and that he saw her and fell madly in love with her immediately and had to marry her immediately and took her home and please bring her dowry immediately. He became inflamed with love. There you go. (laughs) It's the way the book puts it. Inflamed (sighs) with love. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. What a a way to put that. Uh Um, So, moving on. Uh, we have this whole plan. They get away, and that brings them up to the point where they get chased by the lions, and here they are. Like, uh, there's no real in-between time here. Like, they were running away. Like, they just got past. They just sent the letter a couple days back, and we immediately run into Shasta and Bree. And that's, that's where we are. But then they have a problem. Uh-oh. Is that they have to get through or around the city of Tashban somehow, which apparently is really big. Because, like, just, you know, taking a day to go east and going around the city, that does not work. Well, I mean, it is on the river. Uh-huh. And so they are going to have to get around or get across the river in order to... So I don't know if the river runs right through the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. Or Let if consult it map. runs, like, right, like the city is right next to it. Yeah. But Tashban's right at the very... Yeah, it's right down here. And so it looks, as it's drawn in here, as though it is on an island in the middle of the river, and it is the crossing um, twice of the river. Something like that, The way yeah. it's drawn there. Yeah. And the river is too wide, and there's too much shift uh, shipping uh-huh. happen- happening downriver for them to cross. Yeah. Um, Bree, of course, makes himself out to be like... <laughs> 
oh no, it would be too hard for Quinn. Well, yeah. it's also like too hard for him. <laughs> uh-huh. But then north or uh, upriver, not necessarily north doesn't make sense. Yeah. Upriver from Toshban, it said that there's a bunch of fishing huts and villas and vacation homes, essentially. Pleasure homes. Pleasure homes. Uh, or I think pleasure houses is the exact way they put it. Something like that. Where they have water parties. Water parties. There you go. We're tar- that's, that's what I want to find out Tarquinas more about. Tarquinas have those water parties. Uh-huh. Um, so yes, they are um, not able to go around the city because it is the river crossing and it's also uh, just so much potential of being seen in a very suspicious crossing of the river mm. outside of that. Uh, and so they fight and fight about this uh, and eventually came to the conclusion that yes, they... Yes, but in fighting, Erevis is slightly less mean to Shasta. Slightly less. Only because, you know, it's it's easier to be nice when you're planning something rather than just talking about nothing at exactly. all. Exactly. Apparently. Um, so, you know, we, we still don't have, like, any sort of friendship blossoming in between them, but she's C.S. slightly Lewis less mean. does manage to keep himself out of, like, any moral judgments on the actions of the characters in this he chapter. Does. He, he does. He does have Shasta just be like, um, what happened to the girl that you drugged? And she's like, I didn't do anything to make you happy. Um, and so we definitely have this kind of calling out of, and then we also have the moment where they're, um collecting stuff for the disguises they're going to need to get through Toshban. Uh-huh. And C.S. Lewis says, um, it was a troublesome one and involved certain amount of what Shasta called stealing and Bree called raiding. Uh-huh. Um, so that's his way around inserting himself into the chapter to be yeah. like, now, it was stealing, but... <laughs> like, but it was for a good cause. I mean, it's raiding. You know, they have too much stuff. Uh, so yeah, they come up with this whole plan where they have to have a disguise. For whatever reason, like, Bree is wholly unconvinced that there's anything they can do to him to make him not look like a war horse. Maybe it's because I don't know anything about horses. Uh, but I'm just like, I don't know what makes this so obvious. Erevis is also convinced of it, though. Like, it's yeah. not just yeah. people patting Bree on the back. It yeah. is. It is definitely something that... Are war horses like twice the size of regular horses? They're like, what? bigger. I mean, they're bigger than like a mare or a pack horse, and they're definitely more noble and well kempt and stuff like that. But that's why we've got to cut their tails all ragged, and you know, have we got to roll around, around in dirt the, and yeah. get nasty and get loaded down with packs. So we have disguises for the horses and for like the people, not necessarily Shasta because nobody knows who Shasta is or cares. But uh, Erebus needs to dress like a slave. Yeah. Uh, so that has to happen, and they decide the best place, you know, if they get separated going through the city, like, you know, I don't know how you just lose track of a horse. Like you can get separated <laughs> in the city, though. Yeah, well, yeah, but if you're walking with people, like, if you have a if you have a horse with you, it's like, that, that seems harder to lose. I digress. Anyway, so if they get separated, they're going to meet again at the tombs of, of something, something, something. Uh, what, what are these called again? Uh, I didn't write Tombs that down. Tombs of the Ancient Kings. The Tombs of the Ancient Kings. I ran that D&D module once. <laughs> um, and they're like, yeah, we need to find there. You can't miss them. This is where we're going to meet. Uh, nobody's actually going to follow us there because all the Calarmine believe that they're full of ghouls. Uh, and Erevis is like, but are they? 
Yep. A v- valid question in this world. Yeah, I mean, like, like, absolutely, if her culture says that there's rules there, and then Brie is just like, um, I'm from Narnia, I don't believe in ghouls. Yeah, you're from Narnia, which has, like, <laughs> you know, giants and centaurs and ghosts and witches and all all manner of supernatural critters. Yep. And you're just like, nope, ghouls, that's going too far. It is definitely going too far. <sighs> and Shasta's just like, yeah. I'm not a Calarmine anyway, so I'm not worried about him either, which is him lying. Yep. He's totally afraid of ghouls. Yeah. And Erebus goes, hmm. I'm impressed and annoyed. I'm impressed and annoyed. <laughs> it's like, that was most of your reaction toward me when we were dating. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, most of my reaction to you now. <laughs> nothing's changed. Uh... So they come up with the sizes. They have a meeting plan point. Like so far, they're they seem very competent. Uh, like possibly something's gonna go wrong. Yeah, possibly <laughs> more so than any of the other child characters we've encountered in the other books. <laughs> they actually have a plan. They've got like contingencies. They they yeah, do also have angles. like a trained war horse. <laughs> yeah. who has been present he's, for strategy. Yeah, and he's helping out. <laughs> he's. It's not just the children coming up with these plans. Yeah, and and Huynh, who's very sensible mayor. Yeah, she's um, sensible. She barely gets any dialogue in this chapter. Huynh's going to be like a background character. I already already feel that. Well, she's already been established to be the maternal character, so nobody really needs her to talk, right? Uh-huh. And we get ready. Uh, <laughs> I, I Since we brought up You Huynh. can't just, uh-huh, my feminist <laughs> rant. Well, no, I was bring, I'm bringing up something about Huynh. Huynh. Uh, we do pass the Bechdel test in this chapter. Ah, do we? Uh huh. Two we, named female characters. Yeah, we have Hwen Did and they Erebus. talk to each other? Yeah. The talks to Erebus when she's going to kill herself. Erebus told her a story uh-huh. about yeah. Uh-huh. She, why was she going to kill herself? Be- because of a man. Well, I was trying. Okay. <laughs> v- vaguely. Erebus um, told a story about another woman telling her not to kill herself because of a man. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Maybe. It might. So, But you are stretching. You're reaching for it. Sometimes I try that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And that's where we leave off. We don't actually go into the city. We just have the plan. And uh, then we're going to go into Chapter 4 and find out what happens. I'm going to spoil it and say... Probably things go wrong because the title of the chapter is Shasta Falls In With the Narnians. <gasps> Are there some Narnians I in thought Kaspa? he'd already fallen in with a Narnian. Apparently there's more. Why? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Are there Narnian? Which which I'm really intrigued by because I like I haven't the read this. The title of the yeah, chapter? The, the title. I haven't read this book. Uh, but, you know, this is during the same time period as, you know, Peter and Edmund and all of them are in charge of Narnia. And as we've established, they're basically the only humans in Narnia. Yep. And so I'm curious as to what the Narnians are that Shasta falls in with. Because you would think they have to be some sort of talking animals. Possibly. Because they're... They have to be. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's a thing. Um, we might discover that actually all horses in all of Kalerman are kidnapped Narnian uh-huh. horses and they just... Yep. Anyway. Anything else you want to talk about before we... Let me see what my notes say. Uh, I wanted to talk about... This isn't the right time in the story because we haven't gotten enough information really about the religion of um, 
Kalerman, but mm-hmm. we do have a reference to three different gods. Uh-huh. And so we have Tash, Azeroth, and Zardina, the yeah. Lady of the Night. And um, we have the child marriage, suicide. Um, <laughs> let's see. That's really the majority of the notes that I have written down. I don't think that there's anything else. I had also wanted to talk about the chapter title of the next chapter, but uh-huh. you really kind of hit it. Um, yeah, no. I think I'm done. All right. Are we ready to, to head into our next segment here? Hashtag Narnia right. chopped and screwed. Uh-huh. So in this segment, uh, what we do is we go back through the chapter. We pick out five we pluck out five more sentences that we also don't put back we just viscerate these chapters um and we use those to tell a completely new story um it's fun and for this book i am doing the the novel idea <laughs> that was a pun um <laughs> of having a consistent storyline in my rewrites throughout the entire thing uh so Kristen, if you'd like to go and do your rewrite first sure here's a short and what happened to the girl, the one you drugged, asked Shasta. We'll settle that tomorrow, ma'am, said Bree. <laughs> we'll have to have a disguise, said Shasta, but I think it's our only chance. It was a troublesome one and involved a certain amount of what Shasta called stealing and Bree called raiding. Wow, a lot of crime here. It's like a little... Uh... Yeah, little criminal syndicate you have you have turned these characters into. Yep, yep. Basically, okay. I'm 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 taking out all of the morally <laughs> reprehensible things that happen in the chapter, and I'm spotlighting them. Uh huh. And saying, hey, don't forget that all of these things are in here happening, and C.S. Lewis didn't tell us not to do them. Uh huh. C.S. Lewis didn't say, and don't drug your maid. <laughs> now you know Gosh. it's not right to steal. See, we're three chapters in, and I really want to get like a new moral lesson to tack on to the end of the podcast. Like, we don't, you know, don't lock yourself in a wardrobe, and don't forget to wipe your sword. We need something here. Mine and is if, gonna be. I'm gonna add it in here, and, and we're gonna be. And don't drug your don't maid. Don't drug your maid. <laughs> Would have been a great one, but he didn't say that. <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> uh. Anyway, that's gonna be my new tag. Forget the wardrobe. So, would you like to hear mine? Yes, absolutely. Uh, now you're going to. Start with last week's. last week's. Yes. Okay. Uh, so you know, if you forgot the first week, go back and listen to that one. And I'm just you know, at Kristen's behest, I'm just reading the one previous week to my current rewrite. Uh, so here is last week's. It was nearly noon the following day when Shasta was wakened and by something warm and soft moving over his face. As they walked, Bree said, "Shasta, I'm ashamed of myself." This is my escape just as much as yours. The girl opened her mouth to speak and then stopped. At least, if there's been any stealing, you might just as well say I stole him. And then we're moving into this week. And when I learned who she was, being delighted with her beauty and discretion, I became inflamed with love and it appeared to me that the sun would be dark to me if I did not marry her at once. How could she be getting married at your age? Shasta turned very red, though it was hardly light enough for the others to see this, and felt snubbed. Shasta thought it had been much pleasanter when he and Bree were on their own. 
But Bree had two reasons against this. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm. So you're still flowing in your story. Uh-huh. Now, uh, you had... One of your sentences reminded me of something else I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah. The reference to the sun being dark. Yeah, that comes um, up. But we, before we get there. Yeah, but uh, okay. Uh, any thoughts on where this is going? Because I have, I, I have a plot still in mind. I know where this is going. Do you? Do I? Uh-huh. No. Okay. Are you, are you, I mean, is there I, a love story between Bree and Shasta? Uh, yes. Okay. No, you you always write love stories. I'm I'm always I'm always going to be right by guessing it's a love story. Uh, there's a couple of twists in there, okay. but yeah, that that was the that was the original idea. Of course. Uh huh. Sounds good to me. So, well, anyway, but uh, yeah, darkening darkening the sun. This yes. brings up this comes up a couple times. It in the comes chapter. up three times in the chapter where we have um, Erebus's stepmother. Uh, is described that the sun was dark in her eyes when she looked at Erebus. Uh-huh. Um, and then Erebus said the sun was dark in her eyes when she wanted to kill herself. And then we have the reference in the letter, which you quoted there, which was that the sun would be dark to him if he did not marry her immediately. Uh-huh. Um, so just this kind of, once again, world building, this poetic idea, but... This idea of life being lost, the sun being dark in someone's eyes. And I really, really liked the expression of the sun being dark in one's eyes. Yeah, uh, you know, this desert expression. Yeah. You know, the sun being this ever-present thing. Yeah, I don't, I just, I found it to be a really, like, beautiful concept and idea. I don't know, I just really liked it. Just when you're like, you know, they're going to start talking about how much they hate sand. Yeah, it gets everywhere. Coarse and irritating. (laughs) um so that being said do you want to go ahead and jump into our our final segment here um all right so in our final segment um we discuss any final thoughts on the chapter and chris rates the chapter on a scale from one to five in this case he's going to be uh rating it from a one to five stolen sacks Ooh, and I was um, say pleasure houses. Oh no, <laughs> no stolen sacks. Okay. Um, and so uh, my final thoughts on this chapter, I'm kind of just gonna say like it hits some really dark topics. It really does a good job of filling out Erebus's backstory and still making it interesting, mm-hmm. even though it's all exposition. Um, a lot of action happens like it is literally someone sitting and telling a story yeah. but the action is conveyed well yes and um so i want to absolutely applaud it for that and we have like some more world building some cool uh images and languages we have some racism overtly discussed um as previously mentioned to take you know take it down a notch or two we have people drugging each other, running away. We we're, we're probably going to cause an a, 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 an armed conflict between Ahoshta and Erebus's father Kidrash because of this whole situation in which she has created a letter from Ahoshta that says that he stole her away, essentially. Uh-huh. Um, so there's probably going to be some major fallout and violence as a result of that, just based on the way that these Tashban characters are all kind of 
Tashban is the city. These tar Tarkan, these Tarkan mm-hmm. characters are all conveyed. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've never gone first in the rating section. This is weird. Go, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. Go ahead, read the chapter, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'll echo a lot of what you said there. Uh, I think it's you know an interesting story uh it does a good job of like actually conveying a lot of things that happen uh the story structure and the chapter structure is uh different where we're having like a little flashback time and and then we're dealing with problems in the in the present and i think it's uh a little bit more complex than other the uh, chapter structures that we've seen and like Kristen said does a good job of conveying action and uh also, the world building thing, like you, you pretty. This is why you don't go first. Like you hit everything I'm gonna say, <laughs> and I got, I've got nothing to add to that. Um, All right. Well, then why don't you just give it a rating? As, as far as character development, I think this does a lot for the character of Erebus. I think we've we've developed her more than any other female character in the entire series so far at this point in one chapter. That's all it takes. It's really sad. <laughs> yep. Uh, we'll we'll still see where Hwen goes. Uh. Bree's starting to get a little bit annoying, I think. Uh, okay. And I, I, in my opinion, even though him and Erebus are like Buddies really, now. really buddy cop putting it off, uh, but the this entire chapter, he's just like, shush, I'm, I'm listening. You know, no, don't don't talk about things you don't know about. Like being this like old crotchety man who's just like, no, kid, shut up. See, but now that we've introduced Quinn as the maternal character, uh-huh. Bree is shifting into this authoritarian father figure. Uh-huh. Which is, we'll see where that goes. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, solid chapter. I'm going to say sacks, stolen sacks? Stolen sacks. I'm going to say four full stolen sacks and another quarter of one. 4.25 wow. Wow. stolen sacks. Wow. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a fair and amount of goods. And an airplane flying over. Yep. Wow. What do you give it? Um, Golly gee. I, I give it at least two nights of sacrificing to uh, Zardina, Lady of the Night. At least. At least. Well, I mean, if we're talking about out of three nights of sacrifice, <laughs> give it at least two. Okay. Uh, you want to take us out? Uh, I'll take us out. Go then. for it. Okay. Uh, since you took us in. Yeah, and yeah. introed your section. That uh, was weird. Yeah. What are we doing? We're, I don't we're, like we're it. messing with the flow of the podcast. I don't like it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we'll be back next week for to find out what Shasta ends up doing with these Narnians and who these mysterious Narnians are in the city of Tashban. Who are they? Why are they there? What if they're hiding in the tombs and not actually in Tashban? If it's more horses, I'm going to think something's up What here. if the ghouls are actually Narnians? Whoa. Whoa. Like the, the remnants of the witches' forces down here that, you know, fled Narnia after or, the battle. Or if they're just, like, beavers that are stuck here. And have, and they're have very mangy beavers. Convinced everyone that they're ghouls. Nobody in the desert knows what a beaver is. <laughs> Tell them that we're anything. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, until then, if you want to contact us, you can do so at Chronically Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. You can tweet at us at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of man. Uh, what do we want fan art of? 
Sardina Lady of the Night. <laughs> yeah, Sardina Lady of the Night. You could do that. Um, I'm sure there are other options. Uh, maybe your fan art of a water party. I'd really be into that. Um, but until then, thanks for listening. See you next week. Don't lock yourselves in any wardrobes. And don't forget to wipe your sword. And don't drug your maid. Yep. Bye. Bye. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Colon Narnia. There's some things that I'm supposed to say at this point, but I haven't uh, figured that out. You know, she's not, like, just sue nobody. Uh, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Third slash fifth, sixth book? Fifth? Fifth book. The third slash fifth book in the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> uh-huh. This moment of, like nurturing motherly care yeah. uh that that women and women when is uh <laughs> when is that de- women are known yeah. for <laughs> that when is demonstrating here i've never gone first in the rating section this is weird don't, <laughs> i don't like it i don't like it go ahead read the chapter chris if they get separated they're going to meet again at the tombs of of something 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 uh what, what are these called again uh, I didn't write Tombs that of the Ancient Kings. The Tombs of the Ancient Kings. I ran that D&D module once. <laughs> um, and don't poison. Or don't... Gosh. And don't drug your maid. <laughs>